the WPTF Weekend Gardener with Mike, Ann, and Rufus. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the WPTF Weekend Gardener. Mike Rayley here, along with Rufus Edmondson, former Secretary of State, Attorney General, and uh, Deputy Chief Counsel in the Senate Watergate Committee, and uh, also the uh, Secretary General of Gardening, currently in North Carolina, and uh, birthday boy. Oh, man. Almost. Yes, we'll sing. Uh, we'll sing happy. I want everybody to tune up. We'll sing happy birthday to you uh, later on this morning. Do I have to count it? <laughs> I have to tell my age. You can. Uh, you can do whatever you like. Look, in, in spite of all the crazy stuff I've done, I think it's a miracle that I've lived to be eighty-two years old, <laughs> and for that, I'm very grateful. <laughs> it's amazing. It just seems like you had your eightieth birthday downtown there on Lane Street. Yeah, I mean, it really does. That's. Uh, Two years gone by fast. How about, how about that? Seems like it to you too, doesn't it? Oh man! <laughs> and Nelsa Cox, my buddy, is with us, uh, owner of the Garden Hut in Fuquay Arena. How you doing, Nelsa? Good morning. Good I'm morning. doing well. I'm glad. And uh, way out in the distance, I hope it's a little cooler in Hendersonville, North Carolina, or thereabouts, is uh, the uh, Tomato Guru, Craig Lahoulier. Uh, the uh, author of Epic Tomatoes and other books. Morning there, Craig. Oh, good morning, everyone, and happy almost birthday, Rufus. Uh, oh, thank you, Craig. <laughs> now, you uh, you have a, a, a doctorate in chemistry, is that right? Yeah, I do. Um, I, if I remember far enough back, yeah, I think I got that in my back pocket, but I haven't, haven't thought about that in a long time. So, uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know the chemistry of tomatoes. I didn't know if we needed to address you as Dr. Uh, LaHoulier this morning. No, I'm just, I'm just the tomato nut, and, and it, it is a beautiful uh, morning out here. We're at about 62 degrees with uh, moderate humidity, and I just sent you a picture you may not have seen, but I'm sitting in the backyard in the corner looking at my tomato plants and uh this is my office i like this office <laughs> let's see I'll i bet look. you do craig I, I had a i got a degree in political science at, at chapel hill and believe it or not it was worthless as uh, something on a we used to say back in the uh, as something on a boar hog it's, it's just like anything else. Uh, you really need to have practical application, just like uh, Abraham Lincoln did. Oh, and, yes. And Sam Irvin, he, they read law. Right. So, yeah. 
Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I apply the all of the things I learn getting the Ph.D. is really just uh, applied to the science of gardening. So it's helped me with my record keeping, ev- evaluating things, uh, being able to do continuous improvement in the gardening. So it's it's come in handy, but not for the chemistry part. Now, Nelson, I know that you uh, said you, you're growing a few tomatoes. You're not growing on a larger scale. Uh, even though you have a big farm, probably a hundred plants. <laughs> well, yeah, what's small for you? I'm, I've got probably about a hundred and fifty, hundred and sixty in the ground, um, which I usually, I, I mean, I usually do two hundred. I thought you so. had three or four pots sitting around. You got okay. Well, that figures. What about you, Rufus? You got okay. I, now, uh, Craig Rufus has a uh, been developed uh, has a uh, Rufus tomato that was developed by. Uh, Gerald Adams, so he has his own Great. tomato now. And how is that doing, Rufus? Well, it, it, Craig, it, it, it's, of course, in pots because uh, at my place, having been there almost 40 years, there's no spot that I haven't used. And so it's right. all pots now. And the, the it is it said indeterminate. Well, that, that's a good uh-huh. word for it because it's, it's like Jacob's Ladder <laughs> climbing to the sky. It would be a good, good 8 to 10 feet tall. Of course, I have it caged. And the tomatoes are about the size of a tennis ball. One of uh-huh. them ripened up, uh, red on the top, green, uh, green on the top, red on the bottom. I taste uh-huh. it, and it was a wonderful, delicious thing. And then the next one I picked, I consulted the Nelson a while ago, it was a mushy bottom. And I think uh. that comes from probably uh, in this sweltering heat, they would droop a little yeah. bit. And for a while there, Craig, I watered them every day. Yep. So is that, that blossom that in rot? Of, of it? No, it wasn't blossom in rot. No kidding. It, it stayed green, but was just mushy. Huh. Uh, yeah, that there, there are so many things that can affect tomatoes, and it almost sounds like it could have been weather-related. It could have been a bit of a gray mold that occurred on it. Um, but you'd have to take a picture and send it to me because, man, uh, there's probably 20 viruses, 20 bacteria, and 30 different funguses that can attack tomatoes. But I hope I hope your future tomatoes are much better. That one may have been uh, affected by the extreme heat. Well, and, and also, um, let's see if I got my mic on. Yeah, it's on. So I also, um, it could be um, not knowing this new Rufus tomato and, you know, yep. when it's ripe. Is it ripe when it's green? Is it ripe when it's half green? So... You know, it could have been yeah. a little yeah. overcooked on the vine a little long, too. Well, I, I did notice this, that when I cut open the part that wasn't smushy, uh, it had green stripes in it. And I thought, oh, well, this is probably not not, not ripe, but it was a delicious. It was delicious. Yeah. So so more than well, likely, uh, it, 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 it has something that won't look like a traditional tomato inside. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, you have to ask Gerald what his uh, what his aim was for that, um, and uh, because because sometimes when you're creating a new tomato, you get something unless you're growing it out to about ten generations, you can still get some variation. Yeah, well, this is this is second generation, Craig. So yeah. Oh, so yeah, you're you're going to see lots of different things probably each year, but they should all be good. Well, well it, I've got a road name for me at, at, at uh, <laughs> down at uh, at a garden center at, at Phil Campbell's garden center. Rufus's way, and that's uh, the way it's always been. Yeah, and I, I have a drink name for me at the city club. 
Uh, <laughs> I need some other other kind of and a hot dog. Got a hot dog name yeah. for me. Uh, a lot of a lot of a lot of dogs named Rufus back when I was running for governor. <laughs> uh, somebody uh, called the office, and my secretary uh, Shelley at that time said and told her said Rufus has been run over, been run over. I, I was out on the trail somewhere. And the woman said, no, it was that doggone dog that my husband had named Rufus. Oh, and he'd God. done run over Rufus. Oh, no. no. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> that caused a stir. That could have made the, the News Observer. It probably would have. <laughs> so, Craig, how are your tomatoes faring there in uh, a bit of a different climate in uh, the Hendersonville area? Yeah. So I, I got my tomatoes into primarily straw bales, uh, some grow bags, and also something I'll tell you about in a moment, um, a new space that has just appeared before me, which is we have a local veterans healing farm right down the road, and it is a gorgeous property whose goal is to work side-by-side side with veterans, you know, ease PTSD by just working on in nature, and they've they gave me their greenhouse this year. I do courses for them uh, for your charge. And they said, okay, you get the greenhouse. So we have 115 tomatoes planted in the ground in the greenhouse. I've got 70 in my backyard. And at the greenhouse, I have a crew of at least five people that show up weekly and we work the tomatoes together. So, um, so my definition of slowing down, obviously, is to speed up. <laughs> I think that quite often happens in, in retirement. Yeah. Uh, but nothing is ripe yet. Um, everything went in either May 5th at the farm or May 8th here. So my largest tomato, I think we're about a week or two from the avalanche. And uh, there is a downtown Hendersonville tomato day on June on July 22nd. And oh. I hope to just have at least 20 or 30 varieties right there. I'm usually out there for about five hours and never shut up because, boy, when you when you have samples and you want to talk tomatoes, everybody comes out of the woodwork to ask their questions. So I'm having just the best time here um, doing my thing. That's, that's really interesting. In apple country, they, they have a tomato day mm -hmm. there in the mountains. Do you know that there are is uh, Henderson County is is known for its tomato production as it is its apple production. This is something mm. that I just learned a few months ago, and uh, a lot of it is greenhouse growing. Um, there are a lot of huge greenhouses that do production and ship tomatoes all over wow. the country. So everything grows here. Uh, you grow flowers, you can't kill them. You throw stuff on the ground, it grows and it forms and it impenetrable patch so uh we picked the exact right place to end up i think well how is the soil there for growing the soil is pretty heavy clay so you have to work it hard um we because my backyard is a, a septic field i'm growing on top uh, the only thing i've got in the ground are my flowers and they're doing really well and then in the greenhouse at the farm they've worked that soil and composted it and uh manured it so that's doing great. And my my lab decided to go and play with my other dogs. We got three well, dogs. That's all right. That's a, it, it adds a little ambiance to the program to have barking Moving dogs. Moving to a different corner here. We, we got three rescues. Well, they'll follow they you. Oh, my God. Okay. I'm now under a redbud tree uh, far away from them. So, anyway, thanks for asking. Uh, it's Still working on book number three. I hope to get that out. And one little surprise is Sherry Castle found me, and I was on the last episode of 
um, the key ingredient. And oh yeah, uh, I've actually not watched it yet because we've been tra- uh, on vacation and stuff. But that was fun working with Sherry. So um, there's just been a lot of stuff to do with COVID done. I've gotten to do a lot more local events, speaking at the library and at local garden clubs. So, um, but I don't want to get in a plane and travel and do talks anymore. It's strictly local or Zoom, and that's keeping me busy enough. I bet so. Now you've written a book. Epic Tomatoes that uh, sold very uh-huh. well, and and also about straw bale gardening and about vegetable gardening. What 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 are you going to do next? With I well, the next is the dwarf tomato breeding project because our that's been running now for eighteen years. And, and Rufus, I'll have to name a dwarf tomato after you at some point. I would I love that. I think I think you should. Uh, and, and, and since and I have that indeterminate <laughs> Jacob's ladder yeah. or the beanstalk. Yeah, you know, we do have one named Dwarf Mr. Snow that I named after A.C. Snow, the uh, colonel. Oh, what a dear man. What a, what, I have a letter from, from A.C. Snow. I, you just never know who's listening to this program, but he listened to the show and I got just the most wonderful letter from him and I, I had it framed. I was so proud to have that and um, I'm glad you knew him. My my A.C. Snow story, he was very frustrated with the quality of tomatoes that he was purchasing at the farmer's market back in the uh, mid-90s. So he wrote a column saying, there are no more good-flavored tomatoes. So I sent him an email, invited him to our house. He tasted my tomatoes, and a few weeks later, he wrote a column saying, there are great tomatoes. They're growing in in Craig's backyard. So when we started working on dwarfs, you know, he had this really beautiful snowy white hair, and we developed a white fruited dwarf and i named it dwarf mr snow and i sent him some plants and he grew them and then he wrote a column saying someone has finally named something after me (laughs) (laughs) well they named the snow after uh so yeah dwarf dwarf mr snow it's a wonderful tomato of our 150 it's one of the best flavored of all so uh, i grow it every year um he passed away i think a few years ago and yeah his, what what size tomato is it, Greg? What's that? What size tomato is the dwarf snow? Uh, eight to twelve ounces. The plant grows about four feet tall. And uh, have um, Mike or you can shoot me an email with your mailing address, and I'll send you some seeds, and uh, you can uh, try them out next year. They're they're truly a wonderful variety. We we brought some to Tomato Palooza, our big tasting we used to have in Raleigh, and it was. It was judged the best flavored out of 250 varieties one year. Wow. So, uh, so AC is smiling from up there at uh, how much people love his tomatoes. I hope he's listening this morning. Yeah, he's a, yeah what a wonderful yeah. man he was. Yeah, uh, we like to we like to think our our friends uh, who have passed are are still with us and and still able to enjoy the show in in some way and giving us inspiration. Steve is um, in yeah. Garner and has a tomato question uh, for you. Steve, good morning. Yeah, I've got I've got uh, four tomatoes. <clears throat> I, uh, uh, three uh, small ones and a, uh, a, a, a Roma. Mm-hmm. The three, two of the three small ones. The they're both uh, the what is it, the gold. Yo, sun gold. Um, sun gold. Yep. One is a feral. It came up on its own, and it is going like gangbusters. The other one is uh, finally, you know, you, you 
creep and reap. Well, it's mm-hmm. finally re, uh, creeping. Uh, <laughs> the Roma is doing great, but that the, the it's a it's a golden pear, and huh. it's a tiny little leaf. It's not it's not a, a big tomato. It has struggled since I put it in the ground. It's not dead yet. But it has struggled, and I have been trying it. I've fertilized it. I've put cow manure around it. Um, I can't figure out why it won't grow like the other three are. Any and theories? Um, the same dirt. Any uh, theories, Craig? Um, is it so? How many hours of sun is it getting? Are they all kind of in the same general location? Oh yeah, it's getting sun uh, sixteen hours a day. <laughs> Whoa, whoa! What are what are the leaves looking? What are the leaves looking like on it? Are they um, are there any spotting or are there any yellow oh, areas? They look wilted. They have wilted. They look wilted. Oh, uh, and they so just what don't you may... seem to even when I put water on it, they don't seem yeah. to. You know, the other ones when they start showing need of water, if I put water on yeah. the leaves, just you know unfold right. out. This one, it's still here. I mean, it's not dead. Yeah. It's still producing fruit. It's yeah. still blossoming. Yeah. It just looks, it looks half dead all the time. And I just wonder. Well, yeah. Well, it's got depression. I'm putting, I'm putting tomato food on them about every <laughs> other day. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's overfeeding because uh, tomatoes in the ground really only need to be fed once every two or three weeks or so if, if you've oh, okay. got good soil. But the paste-type the, the paste type tomatoes tend to have a genetic trait that makes the leaves look kind of droopy and wilty. So okay. your plant actually may be fine. It's just exhibiting the genetics of the variety. But the other problem, if you get a tomato that's severely wilting, it could be something in the soil like a bacterial wilt, southern wilt, or fusarium wilt that's causing that plant to, to really struggle. And, you know, cherry tomatoes are the hardiest, easiest tomatoes of all to grow. Um, I know, that's why I like to grow yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Keep an eye on it. Um, if the leaves start turning yellow and the wilting becomes severe, it's probably best to get it out of there because it, okay. it's telling you that there's something in the soil that's uh, really severely impacted that plant. Well, I mean, it, it's, it's doubled in size since I bought it, so I can't... Okay. If it's just a, if this may be its normal trait, I've just never had a tomato that with a leaf that looks yep. like this. Yep, you could. I I have a feeling you're looking at the plant's genetics and just kind of roll with it, keep it fed and watered, and uh, enjoy the tomatoes that come. Very up. good. Okay. Thank you, Steve. All righty. Back at nine thirty. Okay. Uh it's uh, Herb next. Uh, another PhD, I believe, uh, Herb. Uh, you're on with Craig. Good morning, Mike, Rufus, Nelson, and Craig. How are you this morning? Hey, Fine, great. Professor Herb. Good morning. Uh, Brother Herb, Mike. Brother Herb. All right, Brother Herb, then. Uh, I I call mainly because I was going to mention that uh, Craig and Sherry Castle had hooked up on the key ingredient, but uh, he didn't mention that, so um, <laughs> I hope everyone will get a chance to see that again. Uh, one of the things that I was working on this time around was finding a new tomato to try. 
And I tried this super sweet, and it's growing. So I'm looking forward to seeing if it's really super sweet as opposed to the sun goals and the other kinds of things. Is, is, uh, Craig, are you familiar with the super sweet? You know, I've I've heard of it, and um, I wish you luck trying to knock Sun Gold off. Uh, you know, a position of ascendancy because I've been I first grew Sun Gold back in about 1988, and even to the even to this day, it is always perhaps the most delicious tomato in my garden. So, uh, you know, I get I, I hope that it works out for you, but um, I've not yet better sun gold in terms of uh, the flavor of a cherry tomato. And I don't know if uh, Rufus or um, or Mike or uh, I don't know if you've grown sun gold before or tasted it, but it, it is pretty special. Oh, Nels, absolutely. Nelson, I'm sure you've grown it before. Oh, many, many times and sold it by the quarts, by the <laughs> bucket loads. And um, I, I ditto uh, what you're saying, Craig. I mean, definitely best ever sweetest tomato. I mean, first you know unfortunately i can't slice like 16 of them to put on a sandwich but it is <laughs> oh come on it is like the best tomato oh my goodness i mean on pizzas just yeah. eating raw in salads i mean stir yeah. for anything it is it is undoubtedly uh my favorite yeah. small tomato for sure it, it, it has two issues really the seed is really getting expensive and because it's a hybrid and they keep the parents of that hybrid secret um that's just something we have to put up with. And I really wish it would crack a little bit less. It, it's sort of like if, if it sees a cloud and it thinks it's going to rain, it cracks if it's really right. But um, it's <laughs> worth putting up with the, with those two things just to enjoy its flavor, for sure. Nelson, uh, you rang a bell with me when you said that you can't slice up 16. I want to tell you that I use the cherry tomatoes all the time, and they are less messy than the juicy ones. Which <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, well, Herb and Craig, let me tell you a little secret. Nelsa hates mayonnaise. Now, <laughs> yeah, that was something we were not going to. Uh, I just bring like up. the raw well, flavor of how tomatoes. How do you eat a tomato sandwich without oh my mayonnaise? Gosh, why do you want to mess well, up the beautiful flavor of a tomato? Well, with bacon. <laughs> well, bacon is good too. <laughs> well, Craig hates mayonnaise too. Yay. Oh my God! Oh, oh my! <laughs> it's a society. It's a it's a secret cult. Hey, we know the good know, taste of a tomato. My what one, I you know my favorite tomato sandwich is actually a grilled cheese on really good bread that gets crusty when you butter it up and fry it. Have a good cheddar cheese and a big slab of tomato on it. I love Ooh, it. Oh, that I sounds like, like La Farm. Hey, uh, that is the best tomato in the world. We got to take like a break it. real quick, Herb. You got got uh, time to just hang on just through the news and you can finish I'm good. all right I'm good, good. we'll be that. back more with uh Nelsa and rufus and craig lahulier we're talking tomatoes this hour on the weekend gardener let's get back to the wptf weekend gardener with mike ann and rufus we're back on wptf at 8 35 mike rayley here along with rufus edmonston and uh, our friend Nelsa Cox, who owns the Garden Hut in Fuqua Varina. And uh, Craig LaHoulier is with us for this hour. We're talking tomatoes. And John is in Fuqua Varina. John, you have a tomato question for Craig and Nelsa and Rufus? Well, I have a general question, uh, not about tomatoes. I have uh, I had a fig tree 
in my backyard that was probably oh, 15 feet tall and, and very large uh, diameter. It was taken down in the storm last fall, and so I had to um, cut it up and, and get rid of it. But I was told that if I leave the stump, that it would come back. And sure enough, yeah. spring it started out slowly, and now there must be 15 uh, shoots coming off the three stumps that are left. And um, they're probably two and a half, three feet tall. I just need to know: Do I need to cut those back a little bit? Or no, I wouldn't wouldn't mess with it at this point. I mean, you could if you wanted it to be bushier, but you don't have to. And you know, that's a great sign um, that you know you've got that many sprouts because that week between Christmas and um, New Year's was really brutal. I know. Um, I know. Yeah, I'm surprised we, that we yeah, didn't I mean, I, we've get more got dieback. several on the farm, and um, we we had we had actually cut them back pretty hard. And then, in addition to that cold, um, we had a lot of stem dieback, and we're still working on pruning it out. But um, but you know, nonetheless, uh, plant is coming back strong and and has lots of a little bigger than a thumbnail, but um, maybe size of a quarter. Uh, figs and well, these brown turkey or some. Th- other they're variety. brown turkey. That's usually yeah. what you find. Yeah. I assume yeah. that's what you have, John. I assume it is too. Yeah, Craig. Uh, I would think that you'd have a, a, a fig tree out there in Hendersonville. We do. Um, in fact, I brought with me a cutting that I took from the um, well-bred garden that was off Athens Road when I did some courses there, and it's one of the larger uh, green figs. And it hasn't fruited here yet. I haven't found the right place for it. But you mentioned that week um, in December, January, we hit zero here, and we learned a lot about um, what happens to plants here at that temperature. So our figs dried right back to the bottom. Our hydrangea died all the way back to the bottom. And actually, even though the plant looks great now, it didn't flower. Wisteria died back, and they didn't flower. I love um, that. Well, that, that, yeah, that, that's a good thing. So, um, it's always instructed, even though it's kind of painful at the time to go through it, to learn a little bit about your perennials and which one of them, which ones of them are truly hardy and not bothered by that extreme temperature. And, uh, we did lose a few things, but man, nature does find a way, whether it's growing in 95 to 100 degree days or surviving zero, you'll learn a lot about your plants with extreme temperatures. It truly does, and I'll I'll say, say, well, I'll add one other plant. Um, You know, there were several uh, Japanese maples that um, struggled, which is a pretty tough plant. The other thing I wanted to follow with is um, you're 100% right, Craig. I mean, zero... You know, 100 degrees, that's that's a large range. And, and that's why I think yeah. we're so fortunate and lucky um, to have one of the most diversified, um, yes. you know, yeah. plant abilities uh, from, from you know, whatever, annuals, perennials, subtropicals, um, herbs, veggies, uh, woody ornamentals. I mean, we have a large, vast collection of, yeah. of plants. I mean, we can... Push yeah. the brinks of uh, Zone Three being very cold, <laughs> yeah. and and uh, you know the yeah. the the nine Zone Nine. I mean, there's a lot of things that'll that'll overwinter. So we're yeah. we're pretty fortunate. Yeah, Herb. What, and, we've, what and, we've decided what we've decided to do is, if we really love a perennial and we're not sure, for example, the the um, 
perennial geranium, the Cranesbill Roseanne, which is one of our favorites, I dig it in the fall mm. and pot it up and just leave it in the garage. And then when it uh, leaves out again in the spring, I put it back in. Um, so I've, I've kind of got my favorite perennials that I protect in that way. I just kind of remove them from the risk of going bye-bye when it hits zero in the wintertime. Well, I, I do the same thing here, and don't water it; just yep. leave it alone. And uh, uh, yep. Herb and and uh, John, I had a, a rude awakening when I came from having grown up in Boone on in the mountain farm to to this temperature here, and I learned about everything up home. You, you dig it up. You you dig up your yeah. your irises. You dig up. You dig up your yeah. everything you do and. You, you don't have some things you don't have to dig up down here. So right. there's a vast difference. And yeah. you're right about nature. We, we had a cellar uh, dug out in, in the ground. Yeah. And, and my mother would put certain plants in there and just leave them and replant them. Yeah. yeah. They'd come back. Now, root, root cellar. Yeah. yeah root cellar. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, interestingly, canna, gladiolas, which we didn't think would winter over, mm-hmm. even at zero degrees, they're all up this year. So sometimes plants will surprise you, and you just have to try it out and uh, maybe risk to see you know, what you lose if you leave it in versus what you dig. I can get the canna lilies, but wow, the gladiolas, those little bulbs, gladiolas. that's amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's awesome. It, we, could, we couldn't believe it. Yeah. But, you know, there you, there you have it. John, uh, does that answer your question? Do you have another one? Sounds like if I leave well enough alone, I might uh, have big... <laughs> Boy, doesn't that sound good to just yeah. have to leave it? Well, yeah. just, just to add to that, John, I have four uh, fig trees. They're Celeste, and I know that they're over 75 years old and a couple of them 100. Well, they've gotten sort of pitiful. So my brother one time said, cut that boy back to the ground. I said, what do you yeah. mean? I cut it all the way back. It took two or three years to do. But it's come back and just flourishing, just flourishing. Yeah. Sometimes people cut them back without without having the, the storm do it for you. Yeah. And, and one well, more thing you. about figs is they're very, very easy to root. So, John, if you want to have a fig in another location, just take a growing tip, stick it in moist soil, leave it in a shady place for a few weeks, and... Uh, it roots very readily, and you'll have another plant to move into a different location if, if you wish. I did that last summer with some of the shoes, yep. and I gave one to my daughter. And it's, yeah, it's yeah. Yet, but it's coming along very nice. Well, thank you. Yeah. For thank your, you, John. And I appreciate it. Thanks and for listening. Thank you very much. Was Herb still on there? Herb, Herb left us. Oh, okay. Herb's busy. He's always he's probably going down to Jamesville to see his mama. <laughs> <laughs> John, thank you. Thank you. All right. Uh, more with Craig LaHoulier and Nelson Cox and Rufus Edmonston coming up on the WPTF Weekend Gardener. You're listening to the longest-running gardening show on the radio. It's the WPTF Weekend Gardener with Mike, Ann, and Rufus. That's right. We're back on WPTF in our uh, 39th uh, year, sort of. Well, 38. We're 39 years in January. Uh, so we're getting pretty close. That'll be uh, next year. Be the 100th anniversary of WPTF. Wow. And I like uh, I like about six months 
Of being there a hundred years. Of being there, no, fifty, no, fifty years, half the time. That's awesome. Time, yeah. As it is, I'm uh, twenty twenty five. April of twenty twenty five is my my official uh, fiftieth anniversary date here. What what is that date again? Uh, April twenty fifth, nineteen seventy five was when I was hired. Seventy four was the fiftieth anniversary of WPTF, and they is that going to fall on a Saturday Mm -hmm. so we can. It's on Light a Friday. It's it's on a Friday. Well, Saturday will be good. I'll check. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, hopefully we'll be able to celebrate. Absolutely. I mean, whether the station does or not, I'm I'm pro- I'm gonna we'll, we'll party in here somehow. That'd be awesome. Yeah. So, Mike, 1975 was an important year because that was the year the Seed Savers Exchange was born. Huh. If that wouldn't have happened, we would not have the incredible array of vegetables and flowers and fruits that we can grow now because everything was racing to extinction at the time because everybody was going for the latest, greatest hybrid. So very important year for gardeners, 1975. Who started the exchange? Uh, Kent Wheely, who lived in Missouri at the time, he and his wife, Diane, um, and he actually received a MacArthur grant for his work in the organization. And, uh, started out with six people in a newsletter, and now it's got thousands of people involved worldwide and uh, a huge facility out in Decorah, Iowa, and uh, it literally changed gardening. So there's your, there's your little history, well, history lesson for the And day. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to contribute to that on, on a, a lesser uh, scale, but my uh, grandmother, who, who was amazing uh, with, with plants and flowers and, and vegetables, um, she passed away in 2005 and mm-hmm. some of the goodies I took away, um, she had, uh, in her little precious handwriting, mm-hmm. um, but German Johnson seed. So <laughs> I still yeah, have some yeah. in my bank vault, <laughs> <laughs> wow. but I'm sure they're probably not viable, but, uh, still, I mean, she yeah. had poppy seeds. She had all kinds of stuff, marigold, everything, different tomatoes. Yeah. And, um, and I do have her her cirrus plant, uh, which, wow. and, and uh, that May of 2005, she had rooted, um, I don't know, half a dozen brown turkey figs and also oh. uh, about a dozen uh, brugmansias. And so I have mm. uh, cuttings of all of those that I planted in spring of 2006 at the garden hut, and they're just flourishing. Uh-huh. So, wow. Good stuff. Good history. Wow. Did the, the seed exchange start, uh, seed saving exchange start with tomatoes or just a variety it, of things? It started with a, a letter that essentially went out to gardeners all over the country that said, if you are keeping rare varieties, uh, pass on your address and the list. And it was never a seed company back then. It was just a means of exchange. It was a way for people to find each other and pass around things that maybe they were the only family that had them in the whole world. And so it rescued, gosh, we wouldn't have Moon and Stars Watermelon today if it wasn't for them. Um, when, it, when I first named Cherokee Purple, I listed that in their 1991 book, and everybody got to grow that. Uh, that's how Alex hit. Uh, ended up with um, Cherokee Purple when he read about it in the newsletter we did just after the Seed Service Exchange and, you know, Peregrine Farms selling all of his produce out in Carborough. So, yeah, it was, uh, it changed my life. And, you know, I have a lot of my dad's varieties growing in my garden 
uh, every year. So um, there's a lot of history and nostalgia and family and community involved in gardening. We are, many of us uh, have switched to containers for growing, uh, some Mm -hmm. straw bales, some are still trying to grow tomatoes (laughs) in the soil. And what what mistakes do we make? It, it, tomatoes are hard to grow for, for many of us. What mistakes do we generally make as uh, home growers of tomatoes? Um, so I think once your plants get going, um, not paying sufficient attention to them nearly daily, because if you look at your plants regularly, you will find the lower foliage, the inner foliage, the, the rear foliage away from the sun will have will start to develop some spots and blemishes. And if you leave those on the plant, they spread very quickly. So that can be early blight or septoria. If you get that foliage off the plant, um, you can really do well. Uh, I think insufficient spacing, um, not understanding your variety and its particular sun needs. So for really large fruited varieties, if you don't have eight hours of sun, you're going to have uh, the plants are going to be skimpy with your yield. And, you know, there was a movement a while of withholding water, this whole dry farming technique to intensify your flavors. But all you do if you withhold water from your tomatoes is create blossom end rot on the fruit that are going to form. So just, I think just keeping the plants healthy, happy, appropriate spacing, regular feeding and watering, and just love them, get to know them, look at them, read the leaves, uh, Get the unhealthy foliage off, and if a plant dies, get it out of the garden so that that doesn't spread to other plants. But, um, you know, you got to kind of be a tomato whisperer, uh, understand what's going on out there, and, and your plants will speak to you. And at, if you do that, tomato growing really is not all that hard, although it can be frustrating for different different reasons and different seasons. Nelson, any anything to add to that? No, uh, I mean, I, I feel like I kind of picked up a tip uh, myself. Um you know, that third week of June in our area, uh, most of the Piedmont in North Carolina and down east had rain like four or five days straight. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm a I'm pretty big proponent of, of um, you know, using a, an, an 8% or greater um, calcium tomato fertilizer. <clears throat> and um, so the, the group I have on the farm... Um, not very well or easily irrigated other than mother nature so right, you know that right. particular week i thought well gosh you know i'm seeing a little bit of blossom in rot even on yeah. some of the romas and stuff so i, I just sort of thought oh, it's all that rain it washed all the calcium out but you know we also had some very dry periods and so right, now right. i'm thinking maybe that is the culprit yeah, what that I just read a recent paper on it, and this is something I've kind of felt for years that almost all soil has sufficient calcium. It's when the plant experiences stress, and it could be stress from too much water. It, it can be stress from too much heat or not enough water. It interrupts the ability of the plant to take up the calcium, which leads to blossom end rot. And when we were on break just now, I was walking through my garden and, and plucking some smaller tomatoes up the plant that had it, even though mine are well-fed and well-watered, right. the plant always can often feel like it's doing too much. It, it's setting too many fruit. It's got too much foliage. So it's just going to decide that it doesn't want those little tomatoes on the plant. And it, it kind of induces you to pluck them off. So um, 
Think about it this way. If you have 150 flowers on a tomato plant, you're never going to pick 150 pounds of tomatoes <laughs> off a plant. So the plants are smarter than we are. And sometimes they'll abort blossoms because they know they can't handle that. Um, so I, I become a much more... In- non-interventionalist gardener. I don't spray a thing. I just spend a lot of time with my plants and enjoy watching what they're doing and try to learn from them. I like it. The right thing is to do. That's a wonderful thing. And folks can learn so much if they uh, take a look at your books, Epic Tomatoes, that came out in 2014. It's hard to believe it's been that long ago. Gosh, and I haven't aged a bit. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and then in 2016, uh, you you came out with growing vegetables and straw bales, and that's yeah. something that uh, Gerald Adams has has uh, been an advocate for. And now you have the tomato uh, dwarf tomato breeding project, which is uh, yep. when, when is the uh, date? Uh, are you coming out this year or next year? Or? Well, since it's self-imposed, um, discipline is not always my strong point. So my and it's going to be self-published. So my my goal is to get it done by the end of the year. But we'll see how that happens. Um, it you know, gardening has given me so much. It's a privilege, uh, Mike and Rufus and Elsa, just to be able to do this. Um, and I I hope um, you know we'll work out another date very soon to to join you again because we we shall we we uh, shall do that and by the way i sent you uh, rufus's uh, address uh, for his law Great. firm and everything for for the seeds yeah. and so. i would be very honored craig if you would consider naming it a, a dwarf rufus I'll, uh, that will be high on my priority list, my friend. Uh, that's a, that's a biblical name and and spelled backwards it's suffer and how tall are you rufus <laughs> How tall am I? I'm six feet. Used to be, used to be six one. I used to be six one. Yes. Craig, thank you so much. Y'all, you're very welcome. Um, Have a great day and a great garden, everyone and everyone who's listening. And uh, Mike, I'll be in touch to see if we can do this again. Really. Yes. Yes. We we shall. I I fully intend it. Love it. Thank you so much for taking time with us, Craig. Take care, Craig. All right. Thanks. My absolute pleasure. Bye bye. Absolute pleasure. Uh, Craig Lahoulier is uh, has been with us uh, for this hour. The, uh, t- our tomato guru, in addition to uh, Gerald Adams and uh, Craig's uh, website is craiglahoulier.com. That's L E H O U L L I E R, and uh, he has lots and lots of uh, information on there, and his books are fantastic. Uh, more of the Weekend Gardener coming up with uh, two other fantastic people, Rufus Edmonston and Nelsa Cox, here on the WPTF Weekend Gardener.